the best, the worst, part one. Welcome to the Geek Confidential Podcast. My name is Luke Kerr. Today we are looking back over the best and worst of the 2021-2022 TV season, which ran from September of 2021 through May of 2022. Joining me to go through the best and worst in television, geek television, is Melody Akles. Welcome, Melody. Hey, hey. Mo Walker. Welcome, Mo. I'm glad to be here, Luke, and I'm waiting for you to give us a definition of geek television. Listen, if I have to do that after a hundred and how many fucking episodes, that should not be required. History on GC. I think it It, took us two minutes. It might be. Um, Also joining us, he's back. Uh, The computer problems that plagued him before I have been hopefully resolved. Dan, welcome. How's it going, everybody? And Luke, come on. You, you know you're going to have to break that down for me. I, I'm a little slow. You know that. Well, I'm pretty sure that a comedy on ABC that has nothing to do with the supernatural does not qualify. Let's just go back to previous years where I believe there was a couple ABC comedies that made the list even though they weren't geek shows. But before we can dive into that... We have to have a Geek Confidential congratulations because Dan is officially a dad. Congratulations, Dan. Thank you all very much. I really appreciate it. I've, I've, it's, been a, it's been a fun time. He is a month old now, and he is amazing. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I feel like every like soap trope of like the dynasty father but also like oh this is cute like i don't know this is a lot of fun i i really appreciate it though guys how little sleep have you had oh i am running on very little sleep right now very very little sleep i'm getting woken up every three hours or so thing that i loved most about it is you named him after me (laughs) <laughs> yeah it, uh jonathan lucas has a lot of uh a, a lot of inspirations but you know we have to throw the podfather a bone ah uh, okay okay well to be fair lucas isn't actually my name though i have been called it on a couple of occasions so technically you get off on that front um let's dive into episode one part one of the best and worst of television 2021 through 2022 kicking us off breakout star or character mel who do you have for me uh, this one comes from a show that just made the cut May 27th, 2022. I have Eddie Munson from Stranger Things. So he was a new addition to the cast this year. Um, an older kid, but definitely 
into his geekdom. He's a metalhead. And he really did well interacting with the kind of younger kids because, you know, they're growing up to be young adults now, making me feel real old. But, you know, he had this Hellfire Club and they were playing Dungeons and Dragons and he was really bringing them into things. But he, he really was fond of those kids. I felt he brought so much to the show, it was kind of a, a breath of fresh air because, you know, now we're deep into the 80s and we're living the moment. And that was him. That was him 1000%. And he protected those kids. So, Eddie Munson. Dan, who do you have? Uh, we're two for two. I have Eddie Munson. I loved the dynamic between Eddie and uh, Dustin. I felt like it was such a unique dynamic in comparison to Dustin's dynamic. With Steve, I felt like it was like his two dads and they, they were like competing pers- aspects of Dustin's personality, but like contributing to him in a positive way as role models. I loved his dynamic among like the older kids. And I I really enjoyed his scenes from the pilot with Chrissy. They, like there were like three scenes, but for whatever reason, she was so... M- like they had such great chemistry in those three scenes that you sort of wish she would have lived. Anyways, Eddie Munson's my pick. Mo, who do you have? Yeah, unfortunately I'm not going with Eddie Munson. Um, and so my, my pick is a, um, it is from a sitcom, but it is a geek sitcom Luke. So, so I'm just, well, let me guess. That. it's from ghosts. Yeah. Okay, because yeah. I, I tried to figure out how I could get ghosts on my list, but everything just like every category, they just missed out. It was like yeah, runner it, up on so many categories. Yeah, so so I'm going with um, Samantha, Rose McIver's character. Um, uh, Samantha is the lead character, the one who the human connection between the living and the spirit realm, she can see and communicate with the ghosts, not only in the house that she and her husband inhabit, but literally any ghost that is surrounding or inhabiting any sort of place that they travel to. I think that the character of Samantha is the glue that holds the show together, not just narratively, but I think um, just as... not not just narratively, but, but also figuratively in, in some cases, I think that for the actress, Rose McIver, this is a, a good breakout role for her. She has done a lot of other geek related shows before we've mentioned those in past episodes. I think that this has been a a hit for CBS. And I think it's, it's one of those things to me, this is probably one of the last standing geek shows that will get on the big networks that could potentially last for a few seasons. So I agree with you in principle. However, I feel like CBS with young Sheldon and the amount of money that they made off of being big bang and young Sheldon, that we are going to get some sort of big bang theory spinoff at some point in the next couple of years. That's just, I have nothing to base that on. I just feel like that's likely. Um, coming in 
as the best break or the breakout star or character for me is Vivian Lyra Blair as Leia on Obi-Wan Kenobi. She was amazing. She is a young talent. She personified um, the, the, the character that we so know so well as an adult and everything that you would expect for, from it in a child. I thought she was wonderful and she was a highlight for me of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, I guess Lucasfilms has really perfected their Disney Plus series um, formulas where you have the grizzled person with the young adorable or the adorable something. And so I was really impressed with her. Everyone, Every hero needs a sidekick. Best sidekick, Mo. For me, um, we're going to go back to that Lucasfilm, Star Wars, Disney Plus realm. I'm going to go with Fennec Shan, uh, Ming Na Win from the book of Boba Fett. I mean, seriously, uh, Fennec Shan really saved the book of Boba Fett for me in those Amen. earlier episodes. I mean, she was flipping and jumping across roofs and taking out anybody who came for Boba Fett. It it was just an amazing role for Ming-Na, who continues to be cast in these these genre characters who are fan favorites. And I really do hope we get to see more of Finnick, Finnick Shan and that Finnick Shan, you know, steps out of the quote-unquote sidekick. Because really, I would say, you know, it's, it's more of a partner to Boba Fett than a sidekick. And get ends up with her own series. And just because of the fact that that was also my pick, I feel like she is the quintessential sidekick of all the geek television that I watched in the past year. I thought she was fantastic. As you said, she helped save the early episodes of that show, which were not very dynamic if you compare them to, say, Obi-Wan or to The Mandalorian. Later on in the season, everything sort of clicked for me, but er those early episodes, she made a huge difference. Uh, Dan, who do you have? I have Robin from Stranger Things as my uh, sidekick of the year, uh, just because whether it's Nancy, which was a whole new dynamic uh, this particular season, and getting to see them, Nancy, Drew, the entire situation from a different point of view, or Steve, which, I mean, we've seen it, but like it just was elevated to another level this season. Uh, she's just always in, she's smart, she's funny, she's great in under pressure. Uh, yeah, she, like is a nervous talker, but it's, it's uh, just this quirky, fun, lightheartedness that you definitely need in these times of crisis. And I really appreciate what she brings to the team. And she is definitely worth the sidekick of the year. Mel, who do you have? Well, y'all already bitched her. It is Phoenix Shan, Ming Na Wen, Boba Fett. To me, there wasn't anybody else who was riding harder for their partner than Fennec Shan. It didn't matter what Boba Fett said to do. He said, I need you to go kill 12 people. She said, you ain't said nothing but a word. And killed them all! So, for all the reasons we previously listed, Fennec Shan. Biggest frack up, Dan. My biggest frack up was separating Superman and Lois from the Arrowverse. 
I think that is just the hottest of hot garbage. It is a dumpster fire of a decision that people like. I disagree, but I will let you continue. The production team of Superman and Lois are smelling their own farts to the extent that they feel like they are better than their predecessors. How dare you, sir? Uh, I I don't know who's making the decisions, uh, but man, that is just... Dan. It's such a bad call. Dan. Yes? The Flash is a shit show. Yes, it Legends, is. Legends of Tomorrow was a shit show. But it's gone. Once again, was a shit show. Supergirl in its final season was a shit show. Yes. The, fact, the fact that you're thinking that them separating themselves from that world is a bad thing? When all of those shows are were, were or currently are shit shows, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. So, so may I, if I may interject, so so Dan, the technically, if you want to blame someone for why Superman and Lois is not part of the Arrowverse, you need to look at the management of DC. Um, my understanding is, and and I read something about Jim Lee who. Um, who is uh is like a chief creative officer or something or another um at DC now he was part of the decision making process for separating superman and lois from the arrowverse so i'm i mean i i have to, i agree with luke that at this juncture i think that they made the the right decision because the, the Arrowverse shows, it's come to a natural conclusion. Well, not and... only that, but the storytelling on Superman and Lois, the writing for the characters on Superman and Lois is a thousand times better than anything we've had from what remains of the Arrowverse shows. The quality of writing alone, forget the production values, which also far exceeds it, but just the writing and the character development of the characters on Superman and Lois is so far superior to the drivel that we've gotten from what remains of the Arrowverse shows. Uh, it's good that they're not part of them. Luke, the, the, the high level of writing in Superman and Lois is saying something, especially given the fact that this season two was sort of meh for me. Like I, I, didn't like wait, 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 wait. You mean to tell me that you are the person who was sending me texts all spring about the what the crime, uh, all three of us texts uh, all spring about the crying shame of how bad it was going to be to lose Legends of Tomorrow and the fact that like it needed to be saved. And you're calling that shit show something worthy of being saved and then the quality of writing at Superman and Lois, granted, I didn't necessarily enjoy some of the alternate Earth-type stuff for me, but the quality of writing so far outstripped anything we've seen in the Arrowverse for so long. And you're saying, meh, it's, you're upset because it was meh when it was far superior to anything that we've had from the Arrowverse in three years. 
They underwrote Lois. They there's a double standard between Jonathan and Jordan in the way Clark treats them. They butchered Lucy. The that is entire no 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 no. Uh oh, we might need to have a Superman Uh, Lois episode, y'all. I not only we may need to have a Superman and Lois because here's the thing: this is coming from the man who is claiming that Riverdale is a great show. It is a great show. It is not a great show. Landed the plane. It is not a great show. We are yeah. going to move on, but Dan, you are not right. You are not right. Uh, let's see here. Biggest frack up. Dan kicked that one off. Mel, who do you have? I mean, mine is from the same show, but I feel like I shouldn't talk about it now. Um, no, mine uh, is from Superman and Lois too, but I it's had, an individual character, not I the had, entire team. I had Clark Kent as Superman as the biggest frack up because all he did the entire season was frack up. He wasn't listening to his instincts. His, you know, power was off because the worlds were merging. He was listening to Morgan Edge. He was, hold on. I actually wrote all this down for once. Um, he, he only acted on impulse the entire season. That's all he did. And I was so disgusted. I was like, how are you messing up this bad? To where now the world's emerging and the alternate universe, everyone from Bizarro World is merging with the other people. Like, really? For real? So it was. He also treated Jonathan like crap. He always does. That's nothing new. That ain't nothing new. And I've been seeing this online for months. Everybody's like, oh, well, he treats one differently than the other. He's been treating one differently than the other since season one, episode one. So I don't know why y'all just now noticing. That oh, ain't nothing Mo- new. Oh, sorry. It's it's not anything new per se. It's just annoying, especially given the fact that Jordan screws up all the time. But the minute that Jonathan gets caught, you know, doing all I am going to say, Dan, is triple nipple (laughs) and alien babies in brain. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Yes, it's messed up. He does that, but. That's what he's been doing the entire time. It's in and character for him, whereas everything else is being written out of character in the Arrowverse. Mo, who do you have as biggest frack up? Oh, Lord. So I'm, for one, I'm staying away from the Superman and Lois business as the biggest frack up. I, I have some oh. arguments to, to support that Clark I think it's very human of him to have be a, be a frack up and not be this perfect paragon of truth, justice in the American way, and just showing that he has he has problems, he has foibles as a father, and is trying to grow. But I'll I, that's what I'll leave on they, that. What, so, what, so, what but, you are saying, Mo, is that what I feel they are actually making Clark human, which in his when when Clark Kent is being told as the best version of Clark Kent. It is a person, it is an alien who is actually experiencing human things, and that is what's happening with him. He's not the perfect icon in every single form. He's a father who makes mistakes. He's a husband who makes mistakes. He is a man who makes mistakes. And that is what gives him his humanity, and that is what makes it so that when he is dealing with other people who are infinitely worse than him he can still have human compassion that is what makes him an icon continue mo so in terms of my biggest frack up i'm you know because we can't i can't i can't rub them can't i don't have that many more opportunities to, to like 
put them on this cat on this list. I'm gonna go with Legends of Tomorrow, the writers, for ending on a cliffhanger when they had a perfectly satisfying conclusion for the series in the penultimate episode. They should they should have known that they were literally dangling from a wire, you know, that they were gonna they they were in danger of being canceled. And it was just a really stupid, unsatisfying conclusion for the fans of the show. They deserve better. You know, granted, we got triple nipple. We got all this ridiculousness. But at the end of the day, you know, Batwoman ended on a, had a decent ending. You know, it was a satisfying conclusion for that series. Legends of Tomorrow could have done the exact same thing and satisfies its fans. You mean you didn't like the Seinfeld ending? With Booster Gold? I mean, it's perfectly <laughs> fine if, if you know, you're setting up the next season. But again, they undercut that by literally having a satisfying conclusion for the series in the penultimate episode. They okay. should have done that. Okay. I actually have a character from... Superman and Lois, who is my biggest frack up and is also my most angsty and annoying character. So this character, a single character, not the entire show, not the writing regime, not the production regime, as Dan was just wanting to paint with a broad brush. You feel some type of way about that, Luke? Is is my pick for both of these ca- categories. Biggest frack up and most angsty and annoying character is Lucy Lane. I am so sick of Lucy Lane after this season. Lois did everything that she possibly could to try and save her sister, and all her sister ever did was throw it in her face and act like a spoiled child. And as an older sibling who's had to deal with that kind of shit from younger siblings in the past, it drove me insane. So, most angsty and annoying character and biggest frack up, Lucy Lane, Superman and Lois. Since I kicked things off with most angsty or annoying character, who do you have? My pick comes from Chucky, the series on sci-fi. It is Miss Lexi Cross. She's played by an old soap alumni, Olivia Lynn. Um, Baby, Lexi, I wanted Chucky to kill her so bad. She was the most annoying character. First of all, she was picking on, and I mean ruthlessly, picking on the lead character, Jake making fun of his father's death, trying to shame him in front of the whole school, everything. So when Chucky caught on to that, that was it. It was on. He spent the entire season trying to kill her, and she still didn't die, and I need it to happen. So that's my most annoying character. Dan, who do you have? I have Jordan Kent from Superman and Lois. Because, damn it, if he doesn't stop angsting about every little thing, I'm just going to lose it. I'm sorry that your girlfriend kissed someone while she was at camp. I'm sorry that you're developing powers and you have to like learn how to train and you can't quite help out. And your dad is like depowered. So you're really just you're you're falling short in every way. And you're not super popular at school or anything. I I don't care. Like, I really super don't care. Uh, like, you are being given a better, like, a better relationship with your parents than what your brother is getting. And you have powers. And you're, you have, 
like you have the ability, you have more agency than other members of your family. They're like, look at Natalie's life. Look at John Henry's life. Like there are so many people around you that are dealing with stuff that's so much more serious and you're out here moping. Uh, Dan, I have one word for you. Jughead. Thank you. Next Mo. Jughead. Um, so my my most annoying and my most my most angsty or annoying character um, is Yaren Ha, the teenage insurrectionist from Halo, the series on Paramount Plus. Man, I, I just really feel like of all the characters to survive that massacre in the first episode, this character should have just got got. Um, has just caused nothing but problems throughout the series. And in fact, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll put this on the record. I have, have not finished uh, all the episodes from the first season of Halo. And one of the reasons why I had to pause is because this character is so annoying that I'm, par- I'm partially kind of want to fast forward the scenes this character's in. So... Yaren Ha from Halo is my most angsty or annoying character. Kick that ass. Mel, who do you have for best fight scene? Uh, mine comes from a Disney Plus show. I really enjoyed the battle on Hawkeye between Hawkeye and Echo. Finally, Hawkeye is Ronan. Uh, finally culminating because here you have uh, Echo's character who is born deaf so has to use all of their other senses to make sure you know all your fighting powers is getting on and Hawkeye is of course you know Hawkeye but I thought that fight was really well choreographed I love the way that they made sure we knew that hey we don't have all of our senses here so everything else is heightened and I just I really enjoyed it it was just an old school drag out we gonna whoop each other's ass over here Dan I have Obi-Wan versus Darth Vader. I Obi-Wan delivered in every conceivable way in the same way that No Way Home did in giving me back Anakin and Obi-Wan the way that I grew up with them. And that culminated in a fight scene with so much raw emotion and so much intensity. And it even allowed Hayden Christensen to do some acting. It, like, I I didn't think that he would get to do a ton being in the suit, but he did. And getting to see Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen go through all of those, just the highs and lows within that fight, you know, so like Vader having an edge, then Obi-Wan having an edge, and then there being all of this emotion when the, his uh, helmet's cracked. I, I, I couldn't pick anything else. Mo. Yeah, I gotta go with I gotta go with agree with Dan. I mean Oh Lord. Open one and Veda the throwdown. Man. Just like Dan said, the raw emotion of of that fight. I love the fact that they inter, they intermix that with these, you know, new 
flashback sequences so you get a bit more context. I thought that overall that they, the show, personally I felt like the show could have just been a movie. And if it just been a movie about the two of them, like meeting up and fighting, they'd been perfectly fine. But I think that having Vader and Obi-Wan culminate and that not necessarily be the final fight in the series but to me the culminating fight is what makes that that show worthwhile i mean in any of those other scenes where you see vader just i mean pulling ripping spaceships out of the air and so forth i mean ooh, i mean disney plus when they told you that hayden christensen was coming back and he was going to deliver on being vader they did it. They did a wonderful job. Uh, hopefully there'll be other opportunities for Hayden Christensen to um, return as Darth Vader. Make it three and unsurprisingly something in which I agree with Dan on. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi for everything and Vader versus Obi-Wan for everything that Mo and Dan have already said. Um, what just happened, Dan? All right, so this is going to be a long one. So on Riverdale, the big bad of the season has mind control powers and had been mind controlling all sorts of people around town. Alice, uh, Fred Andrews, Tom Keller, they're all sort of soldiers in, in this person's army. And for a little bit there, Kevin and Reggie were, but Kevin and Reggie snapped out of it and the the big bad essentially locked Kevin Reggie and Reggie's dad in Veronica's vault because he has taken over Veronica's casino. So Jughead decides to save them by opening up a portal at the door of the vault and having them all jump through the portal to get to Archie's house. And as that's going on, Archie blows up the train tracks for the ghost train that the big bad had been constructing in order to gain dominion of the living and the dead. And then they're all just celebrating at Archie's house when they all get a text message from the big bad with a photo of Betty's mom, Archie's uncle, and Kevin's dad with a blindfold on on their knees in front of guillotines with a text saying, let it be known that these three have been executed for their crimes and beheaded. And everyone's freaking out. It was a crazy ending to a season that had had crazy ending after crazy ending after crazy ending. And there is something to be said when you've been watching a normal soap for like five, six years, and all of a sudden everyone has superpowers, and it's just balls to the wall crazy. I'm all in. Mine is my um what just happened is the entire season of Moon Knight on Disney Plus. Ah. I agree. I agree with Luke. There was so much of like there was brilliant acting, there was brilliant cinematography, brilliant CGI in different places, but the storyline itself for pr- the arc of what that season was was just what the fuck is going on? I mean, I don't understand half of this stuff. And then we somehow ended up with a hippo 
And there was like, there was so much craziness going on in there. I know that the comic is a complicated comic and that it's ambitious to try and adapt something like that. But that season, I like when it was over, like there are, there are, um, Marvel seasons that like when they're over, I want to see more Hawkeye, Loki, um, a couple others. When Moon Knight ended, I was like, well, there was good acting, but I don't ever need to see another season of this ever because I, I don't really care to try and dive into this giant jumble of concepts that is just like spinning around and, or down a toilet. I like, I don't even understand it. Mo, how about you? Uh, for me, my, uh, what just happened, I'm going to go with when we, and I'm going to go back to the Arrowverse for this one. And it's going to be the finale of Supergirl from way back in November of 2021. And which Cara Danvers and Lena Luthor do not end up getting together. I mean, we're, all the fans are just wondering, why are they teasing us? You know, they're showing us a little leg hand there. And we don't get them together. I think that the... For me, I feel like the product, the creative team, they were just scared of going there, and they shouldn't at this point. The series is canceled. Who cares? And they probably knew at that point that that uh, Cara Danvers was not going to be the version of Supergirl whenever they get to her on Superman and Lois. So they just might as well should have just gone there and had Cara and Lena get together. Mel, how about you? So mine comes from Moon Knight. It's not the entire season because I really did enjoy that show. But from Moon Knight, the episode where Mark Spector and Stephen Grant finally meet because they are the same person as far as we knew uh, up until that point. And then they finally meet each other. And they're in this white room and this white building. You don't know what's going on. You spend half the episode going, what is happening? And... I like things like that where I don't know what's going on and I have to figure it out. And I really thought they did a great job of making sure that, hey, we're going to throw you off your axis, but roll with this. Just stay with us. We're going to work it out. And I I really enjoyed all of that. Um, But like you said, great acting on that show. And shout out to Oscar Isaac because he had to play both of those roles and he did a fabulous job. So I'll talk about that more later. That's cold, Captain Cold. Uh, Mel, I think it's your turn to... No, Mo, it's your turn to start. For me, it can only be the one. The tribrid herself, Hope Michelson. Because once she became a tribrid and switched that... Her humanity got switched off. She was snapping necks. She was breaking a large legs and put him into a coma. She made... she. She killed Lizzie and inspired her. I was just really impressed how much Klaus we got in Hope once she became fully activated. And I have to say that there was a lot I did not like about about season four of Legacies. But I have to say... Hope Michelson delivered. The character delivered. And 
I'm glad that it ended when that that arc came to an end and it was an arc that needed to occur. But wow, I I was. She reminded me of how much I hated Klaus. (laughs) Dan, who do you have? I have Percival Pickens from Riverdale. He is probably the best villain this show has ever had, and that includes Hiram Lodge. Not only the mind control powers, he was just controlling people's brains for, like, the majority of the year. He got onto the city council. He was controlling the police department. He ended up... uh, seducing people left and right that got in his way, including Kevin. Uh, He burned Nana Rose to death at one point. He um, started uh, performing plagues, like all of the plagues from the Bible. And then during the reception of Tony and Fangs, because they got married, uh, he pulled off death of the firstborn. And like most of the people at the wedding ended up dying it was wild. And then also the beheading stuff. And then, uh, you know, the most recent episode, I won't spoil, but man, did he pull some crazy stuff there too. It was, it was a great year. It was a great villain. Like I highly like just kudos to Riverdale's writing staff. Mel. Um, my comes from a CW show is from Kung Fu. Russell Tan, baby, let me tell y'all something. This man killed his own daughter so he could gain immortality, okay, with no remorse. And not to mention all the other people he killed throughout the season. Not only did he kill his daughter, but then he used his son's body. Yes, yes. And that was because the previous season he had made sure his son died. And we we knew, we was like, oh, he seems to really care about his son, but, you know. Why would he? Why would he do something like that? Yeah, to use his son's body. That man cold blooded. Okay. That's my my pick for that's cold. Captain Cold is Tarka on Star Trek Discovery because that man had one goal, and he did not care what happened to anybody else as long as he achieved that singular goal. And it pretty much drove a huge chunk of that season of Star Trek Discovery. Mel, best character of the season. Who do you have? Uh, From a show I mentioned earlier, and that is Chucky from Chucky the series. I really felt they made the perfect move from film to television with this character. And I didn't know exactly if it was going to work because for such a small doll that character is larger than life. And I was like, I don't know if we can do it, you know, each week. And they proved me wrong. I love that they got Brad Dorif back as the voice of Chucky. He's been doing it since 1988. So it was only right for him to come in and do it. And I thought it was fabulous. I mean, Chucky is cracking me up the whole time. These amazing, you know, horror kills, but also has this, gray area and we got flashbacks to uh chucky's life when he was still in his human form and you learn more about his life and i just love the way that they did all of that and they are still reinventing a character that is literally old as me so kudos to them dan 
Uh, for me, it was Obi-Wan Kenobi. I, I couldn't imagine picking anyone else. Ewan McGregor got to display all of the layers of failure within the Jedi Order that Obi-Wan Kenobi was feeling. He got to display all of the layers in failing Anakin and failing Qui-Gon and failing Shmi uh, and also just the burden of the secret and what happened to Padme and the friendship that was there in, in existence. I mean, he did such so much with his emotions and his facial expressions and the way he was delivering lines that for me, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi getting to, you know, not, not completely uh, redeem the Jedi per se, but definitely, you know, do some good in rescuing Leia. I, I couldn't pick anyone else. Mo, who do you have for best character? My best character of the season is Christopher Smith, a.k.a. the Peacemaker, played by John Cena. I mean, do you want to taste it or not? I mean, that character came out swinging a horrible, horrible human being. But, you know, if you saw the Suicide Squad, you you met a Peacemaker who was could be considered a irredeemable character. And when the the season when the season starts, uh the first season of Peacemaker starts, you know, you meet a battered and broken uh Christopher Smith, not just physically but also emotionally. He goes to his father, his father just beats him down, who just thinks he's just nothing, just verbally just beats him. You get these flashback sequences in which you you show how he was abused, uh physically abused by his father, how he was forced to fight his brother and, and accidentally kill his brother and throughout the season you know narratively you come to um realize that chris 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 smith is you know he's certainly not a good person but he's probably not as bad as his neo-nazi father and so I think that the relationships that he forms with his other teammates also helps the character to grow. I love his relationship with Vigilante. Um, I think John Cena just really knocked this out of the park, and I'm looking forward to more Peacemaker. There were definitely some good comedic um, moments in there, but um, I, I'll be honest, I forgot about it. When I was going through HBO Max, I was going through the shows on my list, and apparently I must have removed it from like my like follow list because I didn't see it and it didn't show up. Because I was trying, I knew there was something on HBO Max, but um, yeah, Cena was fantastic, but that season, ooh, it was. I'm not a person who does well with um, a lot of gratuitous violence like stabbings and like really gory shootings and that season had a lot of those well the boys <laughs> but unfortunately the boys are not eligible well and i don't watch the boys either for that very reason coming in as best character of the tv season is spock portrayed by ethan peck from star trek strange new worlds i love spock the way they are writing the character and the way uh, to 
and the conflict between <clears throat> his Vulcan and human sides and how Peck is actually demonstrating those has been wonderful. He's also great looking shirtless. There have been some great comedy moments when Spock is in his uh, fiance's body and the fiance is in his body. So there's been some opportunities to really stretch um, the comedy acting chops, even though it's a dramatic series. He also has chemistry with uh, Nurse Chapel, which is unexpected. It's like he's got three different people who he has chemistry with, not counting Christopher Pike, which is a whole different set of fan fiction. Um, But Spock has been a fantastic character on Strange New Worlds. Best villain of the season, Dan. I had to pick Darth Vader. Uh, I, I couldn't imagine picking anybody else. I mean, it, he was so calculating and the way he like sort of toyed with the third sister throughout the entire season and just let her rise. And, oh, yeah, this is this is how it's going to be. You're getting promoted. Oh, just kidding. I know you're one of the younglings. And getting to fight Obi Wan and get that that third sister fight was amazing. I just I I had to pick him. Mel, we are two for two because extra strength Darth Vader. Woo, it wasn't nobody else better this season. Okay, so we've always seen Darth Vader in the Star Wars lore. We've never seen him at the height of his power like this. And I need a movie, a series, I need everything. I mean, pulling a ship out of the sky, ripping the door off, being his normal cold blood itself, I I need more of it. I want to see more of this Vader at the height of his anger, the height of his power. Give it to me now. Inject it into my veins. Nobody else but Darth Vader. Mo. Oh, see, it, it it was very easy to go with Darth Vader, and I think he is a great villain. And but Hayden Christensen wanna, aside, oh, Luke, I, I want to give somebody else their flowers. I want to go with my man Q, John Delance from Star Trek Picard. I think you know. It's Q in the classic sense of villainy that he's just pl- pulling a string here. He's th- in there. He's turning up the heat quite a bit. But through our, the uh, second season of Star Trek Picard, we also get an arc for Q as well to really show that how much of Q's life has revolved around Jean-Luc Picard and in just that you know this villain this this great star trek villain at the end of the day is it just longs for connection and even though he's showing john luke the worst of humanity and tempting john luke to become his darkest side and then of course you know Screwing with the time stream and I mean the timeline and so forth, uh, altering, altering reality and setting up who knows what to come potentially in in the third season of uh, Star Trek Picard. I I I really enjoyed 
seeing Q again, just because that when I think about Star Trek Next Generation in terms of the Borg and some of their other villains on that show, Q is, is easily at the, if not the top of the list, he's certainly number two for me. And and so for, for, for that reason alone, I was so glad to see uh, Q back on our screens. Well, it looks like the best villain category is a dogfight between Obi-Wan, Kenobi the series, and Star Trek Picard, because my best villain also comes from Picard, but it is not who Mo picked. It is Alison Pill as Agnes Girari, the Borg Queen, because when she is introduced and comes in there and single-handedly disables the ship and then takes them down an entirely different timeline that they have to then try and fix to get back to the present so that they can then prevent disaster in the future, Allison Pill was amazing in the role as the Borg Queen. And we got to see her go from human to Borg Queen and the transformation played out over multiple episodes. And so when she's first introduced, this it's this bad character. We don't know who is the Borg Queen because she's got a mask on. And then we this happens and we go back in time and then we're to- we get to see how she became the Borg Queen. It was fantastic. I would put that Borg Queen up against Darth Vader any day. Any day. Um, And then if you have a little bit of Q to snap his fingers, I mean, those two would take down Darth Vader single-handedly or together, in my opinion. Which brings us to the best series or season finale of the year, the last category for this episode. Dan, who do you have for best series or season finale? I have Obi-Wan Kenobi. I, I've, I've talked about it a little bit during this episode, but it really delivered in every respect. It brought me back to uh, the prequels that I grew up with. And I know that is a loaded uh, discussion. Uh, however, there's something to be said about a movie that was special to you during a specific time. And you understand it was not a good movie. But it was there for you. And for me, that is Attack of the Clones. (laughs) It's a bad movie. It's a really bad movie. But man, I ended up seeing it a lot. uh, Because for a little while there, I didn't own like a ton of DVDs. And streaming's not available a ton. So you just kind of watch what you got. Um, So as a result, I developed an affinity for Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman... Even getting to see Hayden Christensen act now in a way that allows him to really flourish. You know, there's only so much he can do with I Don't Like Sand or the directing of George Lucas. Getting to see him with like better professionals than George Lucas. Are you really trying to tell me that Hayden Christensen could act back then? Is that really what you're trying to say? That is what he is trying to say. And there is no place, reality or realm in which Hayden Christian has ever been able to act. You know, I ride with you all day, but I'm going to have to stop you here because ain't no way. I understand. I understand. All I'm saying is that George Lucas set that man up to fail. 
No, they didn't pick somebody who could act. No, that exactly what Mel said. They picked someone who didn't know where he was for many and still doesn't half the time or three quarters of the time. I I firmly disagree. And I, I, he is, wait, 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 let the record show that the man who is blaming Superman and Lois for going sideways because it's not part of the Arrowverse and who will defend Legends of Tomorrow is now defending Hayden Christensen's acting. Just let the record in show. Obi- in Obi-Wan Kenobi. In Obi-Wan Kenobi You also, I, when I Mel brought up the other movies... You said that you disagreed and he was a good actor. That's what you said. People could rewind one minute and find out. I I apologize. Let me, let me clarify. I think that George Lucas at circa attack of the clones set that man up to fail. I'm not saying he's a bad actor. I'm saying he's got to be somewhere in the middle and that nobody can make. I don't like sand. Good, period. Like, the dialogue in that movie is genuinely bad. The scene direction in Attack of the Clones is genuinely bad. Let me ask you something. I don't think any of us can disagree with that. Did you have LASIK surgery or something since you watched those films? No, but I... Because apparently you weren't watching his face and his actual acting as he delivered those lines because his acting, his acting without the dialogue, his facial expressions, his body movements, and everything was terrible. Terrible. If you go back to the original three movies... Dan you, is wanting to plant his watch, flag on Hayden Hamill. Christian is a you great actor. Mark Hamill during those movies... He is just as whiny and has the same facial expressions. They have done side-by-side breakdowns for screen chunkies on honest trailers. Once you can again, go back and watch those. Once again, note, rather than admit that Hayden Christensen is a bad actor, he's now having to pull out other arguments to try and defend the fact that he he is a, what Dan is calling, an okay actor, basically. Just let the record show. We didn't even get to talk about the rat tail he had. <laughs> yeah, but everyone had the rat tail if you're a Padawan. All the like, you McGregor had a rat tail in Phantom Menace. Mel, please save us from Hayden Christensen. <laughs> oh my God! Okay, well, I picked a series finale for my choice, going to Netflix, Lost in Space. I loved the series from start to finish and the final episode did not disappoint. Our Robinsons, of course, are still trying to get back home. They have to pull together. Will almost dies in the episode. The robot sacrifices himself, but we eventually get him back and you see them. They finally made it to Alpha Centauri, putting their lives back together. And it was just a feel-good finale. It had deadlines. It had beats. There were uh, roller coasters of emotions, but it was good to see a series that did not falter from start to finish, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Mo, are you going to defend Hayden Christensen's acting? No, hell no. My best uh, act, my best series and or uh, season finale is actually, uh, like Mel, a uh, series finale, but this is The Discovery of Witches. 
I I thought that overall the third uh, series or season of uh, the discovery of witches, you know, really did land the plane. And it, unfortunately, it was a bit abbreviated. It ha- only had seven episodes compared to the previous two seasons that had ten episodes. But I thought that it tied the last episode tied everything together. Diana really came into her own in terms of her power, her place within uh, the community of the witches, the vampires, and um, the demons. And, you know, not not only the community, but also motherhood. And I loved how she essentially put together, you know, her posse, her crew to go save her beloved Matthew. You know, they start, they who rode, you know, that helicopter where they jumped so that helicopter flew to flew to save her. You knew they were gonna probably get there in time. I mean, it it wasn't a show that was set up where I was thinking that it was gonna end tragically. I, I did expect like you know a, a couple more surprises and maybe like an unexpected death. But I think just from an emotional standpoint, if you invested you know three, if you invested time in watching these three seasons, I think you got a very satisfying conclusion that you know really does lead the door to some additional uh a spinoff show or maybe a prequel show or whatnot i understand that you know they finished adapting the books as it's as they stand now but i think if if you want a very enjoyable three season show you can't do any worse than uh this the discovery of witches i need i still need to watch season three uh, i know <clears> i enjoyed the first two Coming in for me as a season finale, Stargirl season two, the finale, I thought that season two of Stargirl kept on chugging just the way season one did. It was an excellent season. Um, We had the JSA, which basically had to come together to, um, even though they'd sort of fragmented, they'd had to come back together to fight the villain. I thought that first the um, the shade... um, being sort of like the minor villain, but we didn't realize that at first. I thought he was really well done. And then the battle with Eclipso, I thought was excellent. I feel like Stargirl is... Uh, I'm knocking on wood here because I I sometimes feel the same way about the first two seasons of Stargirl the way I feel about the first two seasons of Black Lightning. And then we all know that Black Lightning went off the rails in its final season. And I don't want um, season three to be Stargirl's final season, but it gives me a lot of good vibes. Like it, it reminds me of how good The Flash was in the first couple seasons. It reminds me of how good Black Lightning was. If you have not watched season two and then, of course, the finale, you should go do so because it is, it is thoroughly enjoyable. On that note, we would co- we would encourage you to comment on this episode at geekconfidential.com or in our Facebook group on Facebook. There's a link to that at geekconfidential.com. You can always find us on Twitter at GK Confidential uh, and on Facebook at GK Confidential. You can find me on Twitter at Luke underscore Kerr. Mel is at Melody Akles. Dan is Real Dan Pierce. And Mo is Dr. Mo 77. We thank you for listening. Until next time and part two. So long. This is where the fun begins. (laughs) Bye, Bye, y'all.